Good morning. Welcome to our second service today. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. So glad that you're with us. And before I uh, start the message this morning and preach a little bit, I'd like to have the opportunity just to be your pastor for a moment. I know this uh, last week, from last Sunday to this, a lot has happened in our world. And I just, we're all uh, praying for the peace of Ukraine. We're also praying for the peace-loving people in Russia that want peace as well too. So we're, we're praying that in our world. And it's also a reminder to us that there is evil in our world. I know sometimes we like to explain that away and we think there's science answers for everything. But there is evil in our world and there is uh, unrighteousness. And the only thing that brings peace and righteousness, true peace and righteousness, God brings righteousness and peace through Jesus Christ. And so that is the, the hope that we have. And I want to encourage you because I know different people have different levels of anxiety of things, but our hope is not in this world. Our trust is in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning, put your trust in Jesus. Uh, Jesus promised us that in this world we're going to have trouble. But he also said, take heart because I have overcome the world. So as we pray for the peace of Ukraine, as we pray for peace in our world and for righteousness, uh, we want to keep our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, the true source of peace, the true source of righteousness. And as well, we're called not just to pray, but we're called to help and to come alongside and, to, and be compassionate. And so I um, want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, in, in the hub, you can also text the word HUTCH to 94000. And when you go to the giving option, uh, we've also put a, a, a giving option in there for Ukraine through our Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. I don't know if any of you saw uh, NBC Today show this weekend, but there was a Nazarene pastor and his wife that are in, in Ukraine. Uh, we have quite a few churches in Ukraine, Nazarene churches in Ukraine, and this, this couple was on national news this week, and they're one of our own. And so um, one of the ways that we can help is support those who are on the ground, who are there, who, who are churches that are there, and one of the ways that we can do that is through our Nazarene Compassionate uh, ministries. And so if you want to give easily, you could go to the, our, our, our uh, general site and do that, but we know there's a lot more set up. We'll also send that on to our headquarters in Kansas City. Headquarters will send that on to Ukraine. So anything that you give to Nazarene Compassion International with that, where it says Ukraine is one of your giving options. You can also do that in the form of a check and the giving, but all that money will go to help um, our, our those that we're praying for in Ukraine and for peace in our world. That being said, kind of flipping gears today, um, I want to ask you a question as we continue our series, Mark Matters, and it's, is there any uh, rule breakers in here? Do we have anybody that you just break some rules we got there? There you go, Greg, I see you. We got some rule breakers, and then Greg, we got a bunch of liars in here as well too, so we've all, we've all broken it. Uh, we've all messed up. We've all broken things. I bet there's at least half of us that went above the speed limit. Probably I'm underestimating that this week. Um, I don't know if we have any students that you know, skip class or played hooky. I don't know if we had any of you that were late to work this week or what rules or what different things that you broke, but we are rule breakers and I'm not advocating breaking rules to break rules. I, I'm in favor of rules, so you know. I, I do believe in scripture. Every single negative rule was not meant for our restriction. 
uh, it was meant for our provision and for our protection. Uh, you think of the Ten Commandments, and it's obvious why, you know, God said you shall not murder because it breaks relationships. It hurts people. It brings destruction. Why thou shall not commit adultery because it breaks relationships. It hurts people. Um, why that we should not bear false witness. Why we should not lie because it breaks trust. It breaks relationship, and it hurts people. Every single uh, negative law or negative rule in, in, in Scripture was for our protection, for our provision, so that we might have life, not so that we, it's kind of like our kids that when they're growing up, we tell them to stay in the yard, stay in the yard. Now it's in the backyard. We don't want to go out in the front yard. It's, you know, stay in the yard, stay in the yard because we don't want them to have fun. No, because we want them to live. We want our kids to live. God wants us to have uh, uh, life. And, and of course we have eternal life. We're all going to die in this life. But I, I also believe that when rules become unhealthy is when they become the predominant place in any organization or any family or any church. When rules become the thing that we lay our foundation on, we get ourselves into all sorts of problems. And uh, the, the, the Mark's gospel shows us what Jesus, and it's going to give us an indication of what Jesus's heart is and what he was all about. And it might surprise some, uh, maybe online or whatever, that his predominant wasn't rules. That wasn't what Jesus based uh, his new, in fact, your, your title today, you've already seen it, is Jesus the Rule Breaker. Mark's gospel was introducing Jesus in a brand new way that was different than the old. We have hindsight. We're able to look at the New Testament, the Old Testament. We're able to look back and see everything. But you being, imagine when Jesus came along and all we knew was the Jewish law, all 600 plus of them. All we knew was the Jewish way and the Jewish traditions. And Jesus shows up and he introduces a whole new way, a whole new system, a whole new life. He introduces us to, we have the broken up into the New Testament, the Old Testament, or the New Covenant and the old covenant, a covenant was an irrevocable contract that you did not break. And if you broke it, there was consequences to it. And, and the, old, the old covenant, we broke that. Uh, and, and there needed to be consequences. And the consequences is death for us. Um, but Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life. He fulfilled that contract that we could not feel for, fulfill for ourselves, and he gave us a new covenant. And it, it became such a conflict for the Pharisees and the deeply devout Jewish religious uh, folks of the day. It, it, was, it was brand new. We have hindsight. We're able to look back and go, it all makes, it may, may not make complete sense, but it makes a lot of sense. To them, it wasn't making sense to them. And it was, it was butting up against uh, what they had grown up with, what they believed. And Jesus even kind of, he, 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 we see here in Mark, we're going to back to the that latter part of uh, Mark chapter 2 today. Jesus shares, this is what happens when you try to, uh, when you try to mix the old and the new. Uh, the new covenant, Jesus' new way, wasn't meant to add to the old. It was meant to entirely replace the old. This was a new covenant. And Jesus says, this is what happens when you try to mix the two. When you try to, when you try to keep both, no, we're to do away with the old. I've come. I'm the new covenant. And he says, this is a word picture of what it looks like. No one sews a patch of unshut cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Makes me think of I had super jeans when I was growing up. Anybody have super jeans? 
they were for poor people. So um, I had super jeans, my friends had Levi's, and I had arguments about how much better my super jeans were than their Levi jeans because mine had the word super in it. Um, but remember sometimes your mom would have to create that patch or whatever. So otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wines into new wineskins. They don't do, they do away with the old. They put it, they, it starts brand new. And Jesus is describing, I didn't come to add to the game. I came to change the game. There's a new game. It's, not, it, it's, it's, it's a new way. It's a new system. It's a new life. And if you try to put the old, if you try to put the new into the old, it's all going to blow up. And that's where the Pharisees were just getting caught because they were like, this, this, is, this is messing with the way that we have been taught. This is the messing with the way that we have been raised. And Jesus was messing with what that was also familiar to them. Jesus' new wine, his new covenant, was bursting the Pharisees' bubble. Here's the practical, and if you want to follow along in your notes today, here's the main point of the message today. Jesus majored in relationships and minored in rules. And that directly opposed the Pharisees who majored in rules and minored in relationships. If you're a rule breaker today, <laughs> you're going to like, I like this a little bit more. If you're one of those ones, like my sister is five years older. She was the rule breaker. I was the rule follower. We butted heads until she left and went to college and came back. And then she professed she loved me, I guess. Um, but before then, I didn't know that she did. Um, that, that Jesus majored in relationships, minored in the rules. The opposite is what the Pharisees did. Because the Pharisees, by accepting this new way, was accepting Jesus' authority. Accepting who he was. They were losing their identity. And they were at the top of the food chain. Uh, they, they were the ones that outwardly they obeyed the rules, though inwardly it was not in their heart. And, and it was messing with them. And, and they had the authority. They had the power in that day. And the more authority, the more power you had, the more that you could use it. And, and really human power and authority is abuse. Uh, we tend to abuse it. But godly authority, godly power leads to relationship, leads to life. So we're going to look at four quick stories today around this chapter 2 in Mark's gospel about how Jesus was willing to break the rules, to touch lives, forgive people, befriend others, and help others. Jesus went so far to help people that he broke the rules and he risked his reputation. I told you about my sister. Um, she was five years older than me. When she was 16 or 17, she would drive me places. And uh, I didn't know that much about driving, but I knew speed limit. I knew what that meant. And one time she was going pretty fast. I thought for her protection, I was like, Sherry, you're going to get a ticket if you don't slow down. And her words back to me, well, sometimes that's just the chance you have to take. Now, that made it into our family folklore because she had a little brother who tattletailed on her and told that story. I was her only brother. I was the tattletale. I would be the brother you would not like growing up. And so that stayed in our family, and we laugh about it, but that is unwise. It's not just to break rules to break rules, but 
in a more real way, if you had a family member, a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad, and this probably happened to some of you, and they needed to get to the hospital, they needed help, or, or it was going to be dire, you would break some rules getting to the hospital. You would break rules to get help. You would probably go through some stop signs and some stoplights, not, not breaking the rules to the extent you're not looking both ways and putting everyone else in danger, but you probably have sped to the hospital in those situations. You broke the law there. You, you busted through stoplights and stop signs because the relationship, the person mattered more to you than the rules did. And that's where Jesus is. Jesus isn't breaking rules just to break rules. He's breaking rules because relationship is king. Relationship is what matters. And relationship matters more to him than the rules that he created. And of four quick stories of that, giving the heart of Jesus today, first we find in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 40, which says this. A man with leprosy came to him and begged on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now we look at this and we just see another miracle that Jesus did, that he healed someone. And we have that hindsight. But in that day, in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, leprosy was more than just a terrible physical condition, but it was a terrible mental, phys uh, mental physical, social, even religious. It kind of represented sin. I mean, when people looked at you with leprosy, you were looked upon like there is sin in your life. There is something wrong with you. And so you must have done something to cause this to yourself to happen. It, it created social isolation. Um, you had to go through the streets yelling, unclean, unclean. You couldn't be, you had to be isolated from everyone. You had to be social distance from everyone. And you thought COVID was bad. You thought five days or 10 days was bad. This is a lifetime sentence. And, and in the Old Testament, there's only two times that we see that it's recorded that, that someone was healed or a miracle was performed where someone uh, got help. And so it was, a, it was really a, a death sentence from social, uh, from life and from life as everyone else. You, you, you didn't have physical touch. You, you didn't know what it was like to have a hug, to even have a handshake. You were isolated. You were alone. It was a terrible existence. And we look at Jesus, and the first thing I see is Jesus says, is that he was indignant. Now, we know what the word indignant means, but sometimes it just comes to life when I read the Webster's Dictionary. And this is what it said, a feeling or showing anger at what is perceived to be unfair treatment. The Jewish community, the Pharisees, they looked upon this guy with, or whoever had leprosy, they looked on him like they had a problem, something was wrong with them, that they did something to cause this. Jesus looked upon it with indignant anger. He was upset. It made him angry. It made him mad because it was not, we were just born into a world, we're born into sin, so we're born into brokenness, we're born into death, and death makes Jesus angry. That's why he went to the cross for it. That's why he came here. He, it makes him angry. It makes him mad. And so, friends, I know there's some out there. If you run across a, a professing Christian, and they're like one of those that's saying, hey, you should, you, you should be healthy. Um, I've run into some of these nuts. 
and, and they think that you're never going to have sickness, you're never going to have disease, you're never going to have cancer, and, and you should be healed of that, and something's wrong with you. Those are nuts out there, and there's nuts making the Christian world look bad, and they're few and far between. But there are those folks out there. That's not, Jesus was indignant. He didn't sit there and go, this is this person's fault. He's mad that the broken world that we live in. I think Jesus is indignant when he sees cancer. I believe he's indignant when he sees those with terminal illnesses and disease. I think he's indignant about the injustices going on in Ukraine. I think it makes him angry. The second thing I looked at, though, is I look at Jesus and we see his response. Remember a leper was someone you didn't touch, you didn't associate with, you didn't, you didn't approach, you didn't get close to, you stayed far away. But before Jesus healed him, Jesus touched him. Jesus touches humanity. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have healed him first. So I knew that I couldn't get any cooties or whatever that was on me and it wouldn't come on to me. I would have, I would have healed him first and said, now we can embrace. Now we can touch. Jesus touches us when we're broken. Jesus comes to us when we're unapproachable, when we're unlovely. While we were still sinners, he died for the ungodly. The Pharisees wanted nothing to do with the lepers. But Jesus touched him before he healed him. I think that's symbolic of us, that Jesus seeks to touch us first, even before he would heal us. What makes you indignant today? What makes you indignant? What makes you angry? Slow drivers in front of you? Long grocery store lines? I always pick them, but I always pick it wrong. It's, it's the long one. What makes you indignant? The preferences that things that, that I think 100 years from now, friends, we're going to look back on and go, all these things that I was indignant, frustrated, mad, it was things that aren't going to matter. And when we're with Jesus for a thousand years and our, our life and eternity has just begun, we're going to look back on things and go, why was I so upset about that? Why did I get so uh, uptight about that, so wound up about that? What would Jesus be indignant about today? What unapproachable people would he seek to touch? Who would we seek to touch that's un, un, unapproachable maybe? What about classmates that are bullied at school? It can be uncomfortable. What makes Jesus indignant? What about people who are hungry? What about those who are, that are uh, abused by domestic abuse or, or child abuse? What about human slave tra trafficking? What things would make us indignant? There's a lot of things, and I'm preaching to me, there's a lot of things in my week that I get upset about, that I kind of get, uh, my, my, get wound up about, and you look at the things and go, Jesus would not be getting upset about this. What about, what about 162 million abortions in the last 50 years. What things make us angry? What things get us indignant? What things make us, do the things that get us indignant today, do they match up with what Jesus would be indignant about? Jesus' righteous indignation moved him to, to touch people with compassion. The other thing, the next thing, Jesus risked his reputation to touch lies. Jesus also broke rules to forgive. 
In chapter 2 at the beginning, as one of my favorite stories, I know I've preached on it before, about the four men, uh, the four friends who took their, their paralyzed friend. They took him to Jesus. He was in a house. There was crowds around him. The, the crowds were so big in the house that it was outside the house. No one could get close to Jesus. But these friends were not deterred, and everyone needs four friends like this that will do anything to help them get help and help bring them to Jesus. But that's not the, the story. They broke the rules. They they tore open that hole in the roof to help their friend find Jesus. But we're not going to focus on those four today. We're going to focus on the rule that Jesus broke. Jesus broke rules to forgive. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? To say this paralyzed, to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take up your mat and walk. Jesus, kind of obviously to us, broke the rules because he's the one that made the rules. He's the author of life. He's the author of, of, of everything. And so he wrote the rules. He can break the rules. But the Pharisees didn't know this. And so they're asking, they're, they're wondering, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And Jesus does the drop mic moment <laughs> when he says to them, I know what you're thinking. And just so you know, which is easier, which is harder, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say that, that to, to, to get up and walk. But just so you know, get up and walk. It was the mic drop moment. He was letting the Pharisees know, and, and to them, this is a, Jesus is new on the scene, and they are upset because Jesus has just claimed equality with God, that Jesus is God. Easy for us to see, easy for us to look at, but in their day, they're looking at this, and they don't get it. Jesus had the authority. He was God. The Pharisees were losing their influence. They were losing their authority. And whenever man gets authority and influence, and it's human in origin, it leads to power and abuse. But godly authority, godly power leads to compassionate forgiveness. In fact, I know we're not given, and it's the one thing the Pharisees had right, that only God can forgive. And we're not God, but we're his children in Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants us to do as he has done for us. Paul says this in Ephesians 4:32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. I love that Jesus didn't just forgive the man, which is the greatest spiritual the greatest need that we have is the spiritual need to be forgiveness. He didn't just heal the man. I mean, he didn't just forgive the man. He healed the man. He let him walk. And I, I begin to think about, yes, we're to follow Jesus and his example. We're to forgive others. But how many times do we say we forgive them, but we don't let them walk? We don't let them walk free. 
We hold on to some grudge or some bitterness. We keep a tight leash, and, and it might be in a marriage or a relationship where, you know, I've forgiven, but man, something else happens. I'm going to remind you of what you did. You're holding on to a leash. You're not letting that person walk free. You're not letting that coworker walk free. Oh, yes, we're Christians, so we forgive, but you're holding a tight leash. You're holding on to it. How much more so Jesus has given us example not just to forgive, but to let them walk to set them free. Who do you need to forgive and set free? Jesus risked his reputation to touch people's lives. Jesus broke rules to forgive. And thirdly, Jesus risked his reputation and broke the rules to befriend others. Mark chapter 2 in the calling of Levi, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners, this is the third thing now. I mean, they're going, how many rules are you going to break? How many laws are you going to break? How, are you doing it again? Really? The Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and I believe that the disciples are closer to the Pharisees than they are Jesus right now. Because they're new in this following Jesus thing. And I said, I, I imagine they're kind of going, we're going to go ask him for you. <laughs> we don't get it either. We don't know what's going on because we're not supposed to associate with sinners and tax collectors. We're not supposed to be the, around the Romans and the Greeks. We're a set-apart community. We're, we're not supposed to be with them. We're not supposed to be touched by them. And I think the disciples are right along with them. They're, they're kind of going, hey, uh, Jesus, I'm just the messenger, but they're thinking it themselves. I'm just the messenger, so don't, don't crucify the messenger. But on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees didn't want anything to do with them. And here we have Levi, which uh, most of us know. If you don't know, Levi is the same one, same person of, that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. It's Levi, it's Matthew. Here he's Levi. We're, we've kind of learned the last few weeks that there was uh, Jewish names and Greek names. It wasn't a, a first and middle name. So Levi um, is, is Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And we know that Jesus, uh, he liked to change people's names. He, he, he changed Saul to Paul when Saul became a new person. He changed Simon to Peter. I, I, Jesus loved giving people new names, giving them new identities. And the new identity he gave them, he gave it to them before they were that. He, 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 called, he called Peter the rock long before Peter was a rock. Peter was a flake. He was, he was inconsistent. He, was, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. He was volatile. And Jesus said, no, for now on, you're Peter. You're a rock. I see you for who you're going to be, not for who you are. I see what you're going to be, not what you are right now. And Jesus sees you and me, not for who we are, but for who we're going to be. And the Pharisees, all they could see is for who they were, what they were. 
And they were like, why are you hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus is like, because I'm here to change people. I'm here to give them a new name. I, I, I kind of wish we'd have continued that tradition. I think it'd been kind of fun if, you know, when we encountered Jesus, if he'd given us a new name. I was trying to think of what a new name I would have been given. And I was thinking, what, you know, is Saul to Paul? So I kind of liked the rhyming of that. So I kind of thought, what would go with Kent? Nothing good. <laughs> Lent. That's in your pocket. I didn't want to be that. Rent. I didn't want to be rent. I mean, I, I can't think of a good name that rhymes with Kent. So that's probably why we don't have that. But I do know this, that Jesus gave a new name because he was given them a new identity. And though we may not have a new name, he's given us a new identity in Christ. He said that we're new. The old is gone. The new has come. There's a few people in our church here that um, uh, they, they refer to themselves as the old and the new. One of those is Pastor Bones. And Pastor Bones was at uh, Tim's funeral on Friday. And by the way, he said, tell people how much I miss them. Tell them everyone. Tell everyone hello for me. Tell everyone that I love them. And when I say Bones says to tell everyone, if you're new here today, he would tell you hello for them. I mean, he was in heaven on, on, on Friday talking to everyone, working the room. But Bones, many times, uh, he'll refer to himself as old bones and new bones. There was a few times when I first got here that he put his binder up in a staff meeting, looked at me, and he said something. I was like, hmm. And he was like, I'm sorry. I didn't get saved till I was 47. Sometimes the old bones comes out. <laughs> I'm a new, new bones is back. New bones is here. I, you may not know him, and many of you do, but if you're new here today, it doesn't matter if you know him or not, but uh, uh, my friend Tony Fuhr does the same thing. He refers to himself as old Tony and new Tony. And there's been times where he said, hey, that thing you're thinking about or doing, here's how old Tony would have responded to that. Here's how old Tony thinks of that. And here's how old Tony would have told you what he thought of that. But here's new Tony. And this is how new Tony responded. We may not have a new name. We may not refer to ourselves old, but we are new in Christ. When, when we come to Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We may not be where we want to be, but he who began a good work in us is faithful to finish that work. He's going to complete it. He sees you for who you're going to be, not what you are. He loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Boy, we serve a God, good God. We serve a good God this morning. I'm so thankful for the, the love and the grace that he gives us. I'm so thankful that Jesus wasn't into policies. The Pharisees were all about policies. This doesn't fit our policy. We shouldn't be hanging around these people. Jesus is like, I don't care about policies. I care about people. I'm not interested in your rules. I'm interested in the relationship. Friends, are there any rules we need to break or reputation we need to risk to befriend someone, to befriend others? God doesn't call us to sin but he does call us to sinners. And we don't have to stretch very far because we are them. We are sinners saved by grace. There's just two things. There's sinners and sinners saved by grace. That's what there is. Sinners and sinners saved by grace. And, 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 and he loves us. So who do we need to befriend? If we're a follower of Jesus today, we profess to follow Jesus and we don't have any non-Christian friends or unbelieving friends or friends at work or friends in our community or we're not pursuing relationships with non-Christian friends or, or non-Christian neighbors or people that only think like us, I wonder how closely we're really following Jesus. Because the disciples 
I don't think they were bought in at this point. I think they're kind of with the Pharisees and going, you know, the Pharisees got a point here. <laughs> you know, we kind of feel uncomfortable too. <laughs> it's not, it's not, this is, this is out of our comfort zone. This is out of our box. We're hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors. And Jesus is like, yeah, because I'm going to give them a new name. You're not going to know him. We don't talk about Levi very often. We talk about Matthew. We don't talk about Saul very often. We talk about Paul. We don't talk about Simon very often. We talk about Peter because God sees us for who we're going to be, not what we are. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And finally, Jesus broke the rules to help people. Chapter 3, last story, last example of Jesus' heart. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. At this point, they're sick and tired of Jesus. They've had it. They're done with him. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Politics makes strange bedfellows. And, and these guys were so done with the good news of Jesus. You know, some people just don't like good news. Some people don't like good news if it hits them square in the head. They don't like it. They're against it. They have the gift of discouragement, not the gift of encouragement. They're opposed to everything. And, and, and some are like the Pharisees. They would, they would have voted against the resurrection. I mean, they just didn't want anything good. And they were losing their authority, their power. They wanted to leverage it for themselves. And Jesus is all about leveraging himself for you and for me to have a relationship with us. Let me ask you this. Did you get into your relationship uh, when you first started dating your wife, your husband? Did you, did you get into the relationship? Did you seek to exchange rules or exchange numbers? Hey, let me see your rules. I'm really interested in those. Let me, I don't know if I can go any farther here. Let me see what your rules are. I love the story, Andrea, of Tim and his funeral on Friday and his, how his sister said it took him hours to, to get the guts built up to pick up the phone and to call her and ask her out on that first date. Because relationship matters more than rules. He, he didn't know the rules. He didn't care about the rules. And we don't either. We're seeking a relationship, not rules. No one goes into it. You show me a relationship that's built on rules, and I'll show you a relationship that's going to crumble. But you show me a relationship that's built on love, and I'll show you a relationship that's going to last. My favorite parenting verse that I hold tightly to, because my girls know that I'm not perfect. They know I've messed up. They know that they, they know the real me. They know where I've blown it. But here's what they know. They don't doubt my love for them. And my parenting verse that I'll take to the grave with me is this. Love covers over a multitude of sins. God's love for us is the same way that we're to love others. 
God's love for us, a, 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 a love built on respect. We can major in the rules and minor in the relationship, or we can be like Jesus and we can major in the relationship and we can minor in the rules. There's a, a young man coming on Father's Day this year. I'm so excited uh, for him to be here. His name is Andrew Stanley. Not Andy Stanley, don't get too excited. But his son, Andrew Stanley, who is a comedian. And he's going to be a great day to invite your friends to Father's Day, to a, a normal day that maybe you couldn't get a friend to come. They are going to laugh so hard. I've seen him in person. He's going to be, it's going to be a great day. You want to invite your friends to Father's Day this year to see Andrew Stanley. And Pastor Nate arranged that. He got that all set up for us, and I can't wait for it to happen. And, uh, but uh, I remember a story in one of Andy's books, or maybe I heard it in one of his talks that he shared, that they, didn't, they weren't a family that had a lot of rules. They had a few, but they didn't have a lot of rules. But the one really important rule that they had was to teach them respect. He goes, I want, I want my boys to learn respect, not rules. And so one of the family rules of his two boys was whenever they went to, to gather at the dinner table and maybe mom had been cooking or whatever, they would not be allowed to sit down until mom had sat first. They could not eat that first bite until mom had eaten her first bite. Because the principle was this, it was respect. It was a teaching of respect, a, a respect of the relationship. And, and that really Jesus, he wasn't anti-rules. He fulfilled everything perfectly in the Old Testament, all 600 plus, he was perfect in every way. But he had to create something new because we, we blew it on the old covenant. So he had to fulfill it for us. He created this new covenant for us. And his new covenant came with two rules. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Because if you love God and love others, you are going to fulfill the law of Christ. Because love does not do things that hurt other people. And yes, we do hurt other people. And yes, we sin. And yes, we're broken. But this new covenant is not based on us being able to fulfill the contract. It's Jesus filled the contract for us. Perfect in every way, sinless in every way, went to the cross for us, died on a cross for us, so that we who are sinful, broken, uh, a mess, our sins went on his shoulders, were carried on his cross so that he might have a relationship with us because any day and twice on Sundays, relationship trumps rules for God. And relationship trumps rules for you and for me because of what he's done for us. We're gonna receive communion today. We're gonna celebrate this new covenant that replaced the old covenant. This new covenant, and if you wanna start passing the, the emblems today, if you're new with us today, your first time here, you watch online, you wanna to run to the refrigerator, get some apple juice or anything or some bread. Um, if, if you're here and you're new for the first time, you don't have to be a member of this church. This can be your first time here. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. You're really, it's a profession that Jesus, you want Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. You wanna have a relationship. You wanna receive that love and that relationship with Him. And if you're not ready to do that, no one's judging if you don't wanna do this, but I just want you to know, you don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a regular attender of this church. And I also wanna give you some good news today. We're about out of these 
cups that are hard to, and I couldn't get mine open today. I needed help to get both the juice and the bread open today. And so I prepackaged mine today, and so they're both out and ready to go. You might need a little bit more time. Next communion that we take, which is once a month, we're going to pass something or whatever, and you won't have to fight so hard to remember what Jesus has done for you. I want to share with you Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. That signifies a relationship. That signifies that you can come into a home, you can kick up the recliner, you can lean back, you can be yourself, you can come as you are. And this was a, you know, three years of these, of his disciples, these apostles and Jesus, three years of a relationship with them. And at this point, they were comfortable. They knew that they were loved. They knew that Jesus loved them. And so just imagine they're sitting around, they've had a good dinner, their, 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 their belts probably unbuckled. It's probably Thanksgiving, I don't know. And, and they're just relaxed. Imagine the beloved John, and, and he's leaning back on on the chest of Jesus. They're just relaxed. They're just comfortable because they know that Jesus didn't come to die for a set of rules. Jesus came to die to have a relationship with you and me. And so this, for now, from this point on, I'm gonna give you the words of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's eager for, to have this with you today. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the, front, from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to him saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my new covenant, new. The old's gone. We couldn't make it. We were going to die on that one. The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take it, receive his forgiveness, his love today. Would you stand with me today? What a good day. What a good day to celebrate a God who wants a relationship with you and with me. And what a great day to celebrate that relationship he wants to have with each other. So before you leave here today, before you go grab those kids, uh, meet someone you haven't met before. Uh, don't be in a hurry to get out of here. And just, uh, we can't wait to see you again next Sunday. God bless you.